Okay, this is a very important gospel passage, so much so that some of the early scribes of the church took it out of the Bible. Let's talk about this. Now, Brother Reuben just read about Susanna in the first reading. Now she was falsely accused by two men of committing adultery. And because they wanted to be with her, she declined. And they said, well, then we're going to get you back. We're going to accuse you falsely. Sadly, this has happened even amongst others, not just these, this Susanna who was falsely accused. But Susanna, unlike this woman, was innocent. Now, this woman is guilty. Now, the question becomes, where was the man? <laughs> so many of the ladies who read this passage say, wait a minute here. Where's the guy? So as with Susanna, they didn't produce the guy. Well, that's because he didn't exist. But in this one, because they didn't have the man, brought up a question. Now they wanted to trap him. They could care less about the guy. What they wanted to do was trap Jesus. Now, if he said to stone her, they will report. Why is this a trap? Okay, so if the Pharisees are told by Jesus to stone the woman, they will report him to the authorities, to the Roman authorities, for criminal wrongdoing. The reason is Jews were not allowed to administer capital punishment under Roman rule. So if he says, yes, stoner, then he's a criminal to the Romans because the Jews can't carry out capital punishment, and Jesus would be saying, carry out capital punishment. Now, if he says, no, don't stone her, he will be a false Messiah. And therefore, the Pharisees can point and say, he contradicted Moses, who said we must stone her. So it's a no-win situation. It's impossible for Jesus, right? But Jesus masterfully avoids this trap altogether. It is not because, all right, so how does Jesus do? He says, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. Now, they walked away. I bet 99% of us who read this gospel think that they walked away because they thought, well, I do have sin. Actually, that's not correct. The Pharisees didn't think they had sin. So they would have cast that first stone because they're like, hey, I'm without sin. I'm going to go ahead and cast it. But they, yet they walked away. So most people think that they walked away because they thought, well, you know, I am a sinner. I can't cast this first stone. It's actually not true. They actually didn't recognize their sin. They actually thought they were without sin. That's why Jesus always railed against them. And they walked away. So why? Why didn't they stone her? Because it was not because they thought that they had sin. It's because, they, and they most likely thought they didn't have sin, but they stopped because if they stoned her, then they would be in trouble with the Romans. Why? And they couldn't even say Jesus said to do it. They couldn't blame Jesus because he didn't authorize them. He said, if you have no sin, cast that first stone. Well, they didn't think they did. So if they did it, Jesus was not condoning their stoning her because 
Jesus is saying, you do have sin, and only if you don't can you stone her. Well, they had sin. So if they would have done it, they would have been going against Jesus's directive, and they would have been the guilty ones to the Romans of carrying out an execution. So they're totally focused on themselves. Now, he said, remember, those who are without sin cast the first stone. So by walking away, the Pharisees made it look like they believed they had sin. Actually, that's not the case. Then it said the eldest, the elders walked away first. Why the elders? Because they were the smart ones, the most wise, and they saw the wisdom of what Jesus was doing. Now, here's where it gets interesting. What did Jesus write in the sand? Church fathers talk about this all the time. Some say he was writing the sins of the Pharisees and that, you know, that they, when they saw what he was writing, they went, uh-oh, he knows us. That's one possibility. But some, like St. Uh, Bede, say Jesus bent down twice. If you notice the passage, it said Jesus bent down, began to write. Then he looked up, addressed the woman, then went back down and wrote again. St. Bede is very important on this. He said this teaches us to bend low in humility both before and after addressing the faults of our neighbor. Bend low in humility both before and after addressing the faults of your neighbor. If we do this, we are being both just and merciful. Just in that it's being addressed, merciful that we're not condemning the person. Jesus does not condemn nor condone, and both sides have used this. The people who are just solely only about mercy use this that Jesus is saying, doesn't matter what you do, he'll forgive you. That's false mercy. Then the other ones will only focus on Jesus said, no, only go sin no more. So he, he did throw justice on her. Yes, he did, but you can't forget the mercy. We need both justice and mercy here. So Jesus doesn't condemn her nor condone what she did. He forgives the past, but challenges her to live purely in the future. Again, both mercy and justice. Now, Jesus, I hear this all the time from people. People who are living in a lifestyle that is what the Bible says is sinful, justify it by saying, Jesus loves me the way I am. Jesus loves me exactly the way I am. And I'm going to remain in this sinful lifestyle because Jesus still loves me. Is that true? Yes, Jesus still loves you, and Jesus does love you, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. That's what Jesus is telling the adulteress. I forgive you, but go and sin no more. I love you too much to let you stay this way. And this is what we have to tell the ones we love that are living a sinful lifestyle. I love you, but I love you too much to let you stay on the wrong path. And this is what we forget. So when Jesus says, go and sin no more, he's doing a form of admonishing the sinner. That's a work of mercy. 
You correct them, but with love. So he doesn't just blindly accept the sin, who am I to judge and stop it? That's been a misconception in our church too. He doesn't say just blindly accept the sin, but challenges the person to be better. We have to do that with those we love living away from God. Now, Jesus is both justice and mercy, in this case, as he is with us. But his justice, let's talk about this, his justice is giving someone what they are due. That's the definition of justice. Not eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. It's giving what is due. And what is the sinner due? Death? Yeah, technically. But what does God think they are due? A doctor. Remember Jesus said, I came for the sinner, the sick. The well don't need a physician. The sick do. So I'm that physician. Now, if this is the case, the greater the sinner, the greater the right he has to God's mercy. That's where there's hope for us. So if I'm a sinner, I have greater right to my mercy or to God's mercy, Jesus says. It's kind of like you've heard me say the soldier on the battlefield. If there's two soldiers on the battlefield and one gets his fingernail torn off and the other one loses a limb, who has the greater right to the, to the medic? There's one medic. Who has the right to that medic? Obviously the one who lost the limb, not the one who lost a fingernail. So that's why Jesus said the just don't need the physician, the sick do, the sinners do. And so he set the example for us to condemn the sin, go and sin no more, what you're doing is wrong, but not the sinner, I don't condemn you. Again, people take half of this passage to twist it if they're all about false mercy and no justice, and those who are justice twisted to saying he condemned the sin, but he didn't, they don't talk about freeing the sinner. So this is the message. Love the sinner, hate the sin. We know that. We judge the actions, not the person. We lovingly correct them. Our cancel culture has now condemned the person. Our cancel culture is out there. If anybody from 30 years ago said anything that even remotely goes against a certain agenda today, not only is what they said canceled, they as a person are canceled. This is big trouble. The very thing that they accuse the Christians of are what they are doing. Judgmental. It's interesting, isn't it? Now, Jesus, it's interesting, who is without sin, doesn't condemn the woman, whereas the people who are with sin do condemn the woman. <laughs> so we have to realize that there's a lesson here. Now, God is mercy is infinite, and it should show us to have compassion for those who do sin. One of the biggest reasons I believe that I went through um, a lot of struggles before I became a priest, and it almost caused me not to become a priest because, Lord, I'm not holy enough. And it took Father Dan to convince me, of course you're not holy enough. Nobody is. Nobody's worthy of the priesthood. But God can use that broken tool 
so that you can help other broken tools. There is no better way to help somebody who's struggling with a particular sin than those who have lived through it. And all of a sudden it made sense to me, wow, maybe I can help a young man who's struggling, you know, to, you know, with a girlfriend and whatever it might be. I want to be chased. I want to live a good life. I've been there. And I think that that is one of the benefits of God bringing a greater good out of even a sinful past. Because every sinner has a past, or I'm sorry, <clears throat> every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. That to me is powerful. And so that's what we're looking at here. The reason is because we ourselves are sinners and we're in need of God's forgiveness. So we then should see we do the same for others. It's like the parable of the wicked servant. All right, so to finish, here's another thing I think is interesting. Do you know when this woman was probably at most fear? The church fathers tell us. Do you know at what point this woman probably thought she was going to get stoned? It was probably when Jesus said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. She probably thought she was going to get stoned. You know by who? Jesus. The church fathers tell us that this woman who basically was sitting there when she heard Jesus say, whoever is without sin cast the first stone, probably thought Jesus was going to stone her because they knew he was without sin. So here this woman probably became fearful of Jesus because he's saying whoever is without sin, stone her. Hey, I'm without sin, Jesus could say. I'll stone her. And this is the problem with a lot of us that we run away from Jesus because we think he's going to stone us. This is what Jansenism, a big heresy was. Fear of every little thing. Oh my gosh, I sat a little bit too far to the left or too far to the right of the Eucharist in adoration. And the Lord's going to strike me down and kill me. Well, I know there's some foundation of that, like the poor guy with the Ark of the Covenant. But we have a new covenant now. It's out of love. And so she was probably thinking <clears throat> Jesus was going to stone her now because he didn't have sin. So a lot of people will think that God is like that. No, don't be a Jansenist. All we have to do is ask for mercy. Remember, God's mercy is overabundant, undeserved, and unconditional. If we ask for mercy, all other sins are forgivable. What's the only unforgivable sin I mentioned yesterday? Not asking for God's mercy. If you go into that confessional, you are asking for God's mercy. At that point, it is impossible for you to commit the only unforgivable sin because you went into the confessional. If you go simply on your own free will into that confessional, you cannot be guilty of the unforgivable sin. Every other sin is forgivable. As I said yesterday, lying, stealing, cheating, abortion, murder, it's all forgivable. The only unforgivable sin is a sin against the Holy Spirit Final impenitence, I don't need God's mercy. Leave me alone. His mercy is his greatest attribute. But Father, all God's attributes are infinite. He's um, infinitely omniscient, all-knowing. He's um, infinitely omnipotent, all-powerful. Yes, one teacher at Franciscan University, God bless him, he challenged me as a Marian. He said, how do you Marians say that mercy is God's greatest attribute? All his attributes are infinite. So it can't be the greatest. 
And Sapochko asked that of St. Faustina to ask God, to ask Jesus. And Jesus said, it's my greatest attribute in regards to you. Yeah, it's cool that God is all-knowing, but that doesn't mean as much to you as that he's all-merciful. The fact that he's all-knowing isn't going to help save you, but have the fact that he is all-merciful does mean that. So here's, I think, the final thing I want to say. Do you know that it, they were questioning this passage and they were going to remove it from the Bible because they said that this shows God as too merciful, that any sin goes, and no matter what you do, you don't have to worry about it. But Trent, the Council of Trent, looked at this and determined the passage should remain in the Bible. Now, here's what St. Augustine said. St. Augustine said that the reason doubts were raised about this passage was that it showed Jesus to be so merciful that some rigorists thought it would lead to a relaxation of moral rules. And therefore, many scribes suppressed it from their manuscripts. It was almost banished from the Bible. But, he said, it should be pointed out that we should never act in such a way in view of God's mercy, that we forget about his justice, nor should we attend to his justice forgetting about his mercy. So we need both his justice and his mercy. And here's the line I love. For hope should have in it an element of fear. Fear for your salvation. And fear should have an element of hope. Yeah, I fear, I work up my salvation with fear and trembling, but I have hope in God's mercy that I will find eternal life. That is amazing. And in this passage, we have a beautiful lesson. God doesn't condemn the sinner, but he doesn't condone the sin. Our Lord forgives the sinner, but tells us to sin no more. The beauty of that, Father, I can't do that. If I, if I, if I could be that perfect, um, it's impossible. That's why we have confession. So that when we stumble, we get up. Was it Mother Teresa said, our Lord doesn't care if you fall seven times a day as long as you get up eight. God bless you. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? 
I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.